Okay, so here is another cultural question. What is the church's view on the woke culture being taught? Okay, so when I got born again, it was 2007, and I came from California. <clears throat> Get emotional thinking about how God's grace saved me, so if you don't mind, I'm sorry. So in 2007, I ended up coming to Saving Faith, put my trust in Jesus. I didn't have a, um, a spiritual background. I went to church a couple times, and Jesus ended up giving me hope, and I followed him ever since. And the first thing that I got discipled in was a new identity. And so I had a, a guy who, who sat, the guy who led me to Christ then said, follow me as I follow Christ. So for the next three years, he set a foundation for me and we went straight to the word of God. So he brought up Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live in my in, by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the principle of that is that when we have trusted Christ, the number one identity that we have is being a Christian. It's being a son and a daughter of his. And number two was he brought me to Colossians 3 and talked about how in Christ there's no Jew, Scythian, Greek, uh, male or female, but Christ is in all. The principle there has to do with the identity of you placing your allegiance to Christ and Christ first over family. And it's not competing with family, but just saying overall when you're born again, you now have a new identity and you identify, you identify with Christ first and then your family identity, ethnic identity, fill in the blank, okay? And so he challenged me immediately and said, Junior, I know that you're, you're very proud and you, you love where you came from. I'm from the Bay Area. And my mindset was when I was coming to Nebraska, it was to put on, meaning represent Bay Area well and represent Tongans well. That's my ethnicity. So I'm Tongan by ethnicity. Um, I'm first generation born American. And my parents were immigrants from the islands of Tonga, South Pacific. And so he said, you're no longer, these verses show you that your, your number one allegiance is to Christ, his family, and his word over your ethnic identity. And it was, so speaking from a, um, given, given just a perspective for me personally, and I think for the most part what's true of uh, minority groups, is God's created us naturally to see someone who's like us, especially when you're in a minority group and gravitate towards those people. And so I went to a, a school where there was a lot of white kids. Then when, when I would see brown kids, I hung out with the brown kids. Like <laughs> they were Arabs um, at the melting pot in the Bay Area, Asians. And that was true of me, not only when I was in elementary school, but middle school and high school. It's not sinful, I didn't find any sin in it, but for the most part, it just happened naturally. I saw someone and I gravitated towards them. And so my mindset was always as I was younger is to make sure I represent Tongans really well because they're the minority of the minority of the minorities in America and we're really strong family knit, really strong culture. And so I wanted to represent Tongans really well, strong ethnic identity. And those two verses he brought up really challenged me and it shaped the course of my life to where when I got born again, I made sure that everything I did was filtered through, would Christ honor it and value it? I knew that Christ was the one who created my ethnicity and creates different ethnicities. I don't use ra the term race personally because it's, it's used and or originated from Charles Darwin. 
and he talks about the races of the human race, making the race to the end, who's going to finish, who are the uh, ones that, the races that won't finish well, who are inferior. Blacks are part of the race, he ends up saying are inferior intellectually. So those are just, that's the reason personally why I don't use race and why biblically I end up seeing that there's the human race and you can make an argument that there's two races, the born again race and just your carnal race. Anyways, I'm digressing. And so he ended up challenging me, see everything through a biblical lens, honor your honor, your ethnicity, because God created it, but make sure it's all coming under a biblical lens. So with that being said, this one hits me really close because woke is a term to describe um, a lot of issues that happen with minority groups, ethnically primarily, um, ethnically, which is uh, whites, blacks, Mexicans, Asians, fill in the blank. And so with this, it, I've, I've had to continually go back to scripture and say, God, how do you see this? And how do I end up coming under and submitting to it? So with that being said, I want to give you background just to say I've wrestled with it. And by God's grace, this is where he's brought us in discernment from a church leadership staff. So woke is a, is a term that's used to describe being alert to systematic injustices of people groups. And so it has to do with oppressor and the oppressed. First one is oppression of blacks, critical race theory. Um, the oppression of LGBTQ, that's critical social justice theory. The oppression of women, which would also, all of it's underneath the umbrella, umbrella, umbrella sorry, of critical social justice theory. And so critical theory is what it's all attached to. The word critical is before each one. And it criticizes the current social societal structures because they promote, again, like we said, oppression from the oppressor and therefore you get the oppressed and so critical theory solution to the oppressors and the oppressed is to demolish and get rid of established societal structures i'll say it again critical theories resolution to the oppressor and the oppressed is to demolish societal structures and so the an illustration of that is um, the way a culture and civilization is built is through traditional theory. Uh, you can see it in the Middle East through the source of the Quran. You see it in the Western civilization through the source of God's word, the Bible. Those are traditional theories. They're like a construction. Um, they're a construction crew. They come in, they establish values such as family, economics, government, and that is how society works through that resource. Critical theory is a demolition crew. They come in and they end up seeing what's wrong with everything, criticize, 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 and then they get rid of societal structures that end up producing oppressors and the oppressed. And so critical theory comes to demolish social structures. I think for the most part, a lot of this teaching is just to get all of us on the same page to then work through what's happening behind spiritually, just so you can track with me. And so I wanna talk about the lineage and the history of critical theory. So critical theory, is critical theory, I should say this first, critical race theory and critical social justice theory are children of critical theory. And critical theory is a child of conflict theory, which was attached to Karl Marx, and that's his idea. And so I won't go into Marxism and how it has practically led in history to socialism and eventually communism and an oligarchy um, and one leader 
um, that ends up being a tyrant, but the oppressor and oppressed idea comes from Marxism. It's helpful to just know roots of certain things so that we can end up seeing, okay, well, who was Karl Marx? What was he about? Karl Marx was an atheist, and his theory actually represents it. He says in a criticism of the Hegelian philosophy of right, which is an 1844 document, he says, the requisite requirement of the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. Karl Marx's own words, the first requisite of the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion, a belief in God, theism. So critical theories, not just a political issue, it's actually more of a ethical and moral and spiritual issue. Critical theories, I wanna make sure that we're on the same page here. Yes, you can see how it's being implemented in America right now, but it's even more of an attack on God. Critical theory, sure, is giving issues and it's attacking certain societal structures in America, but it's more of an attack on God. Let me show you what's happening in a spiritual sense behind critical theory. The spirit behind critical theory is that of the original critic, the enemy, the Satan, and his demons. The spirit behind critical theory is the original critic, and that's the enemy. Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. If you All of this you can listen to later. Sorry, I'm just going to keep going. You don't have to pull out your Bibles, but if you want to, you can listen back on this. Revelation 12, 7 through 9 ends up saying uh, that Satan and his demons were the original critics, and they were the original critics of who? Of God. They criticized his leadership, his org chart, um, his decision-making, and the structures that he had set up in heaven. They were rebellious. They didn't like his kingdom. They thought that it was unjust. And so the demons and the enemy, the original critic, ended up overthrowing. It was the first just social justice movement that happened in the unseen realm, and they tried to overthrow the king of kings, the creator himself. What else is chronicled there is that God ends up kicking them out of his presence, out of heaven. The enemy and his henchmen, the original critic and the small critics have come down to earth and they have now continued their battle against humanity, which is God's creation. And so what happened originally up there is just being carried out now throughout human history. And critical theory is just one of the ways that the enemy, the original critic, who gives us half-truths, which are eventually lies, ends up using to manipulate and undermine God's creation, his structure. If you're looking right now at America and you're wondering why is it so chaotic, who is the sower of seeds of chaos? It ain't God. He's the God of organization and order. It's the enemy behind it all. And so he does this just for example. Here's how he counterfeits stuff all the time. The fruit of the spirit is contrasted and counterfeited by the fruit of the flesh, which can be attractional to certain people. The Holy Spirit fills. The counterfeit of that from the original critic is demon possession. So stick with me, sorry, this is the longest answer, <laughs> but it's also the most deep. Okay, so there's also true teachers and prophets, and there's false teachers and prophets, and those are promoted from the original critic. There's Christ himself, the hope giver, and who actually gives true hope that's everlasting. And it's counterfeited eventually by the spirit of the Antichrist who gives false hope and eventually undermines and leads people away from Christ. That, my friends, is what the enemy does and has done throughout history. We tracking? I'm not expecting amens and go for it, preacher. I just want to make sure that everyone's still caught up with me. All right. 
And say, <laughs> I love you, John. And the critics, not just behind personal temptation. I think that's what we always think. But the scriptures testify, especially in Revelation, that the three evils in scripture have to do with the enemy, the enemy's use of religion, and the enemy's use of government. It has to do with a broad swath of things. And so the book of Exodus is actually a case study. For instance, the book of Daniel, check it out, the book of Exodus, phenomenal case study for demonic counterfeits. And so here's examples. The Pharaoh is the son of God, right? He's the ruler of that country. He's known as the son of God, a counterfeit, a counterfeit to the, the real son of God, who's Jesus. Priests that perform miracles. Remember, Moses goes in, and they are genuine miracles from the power of God's spirit. And those are genuine miracles from God's power. And then the counterfeit are fake miracles, which they were legitimate miracles, but they were empowered, they were empowered from, from the original critic. The priest comes in and does other miracles that are counterfeiting God's miracles through Moses. And today, the enemy is using critical theory as a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. So let me, let me bring you exactly what it looks like to how critical theory is a counterfeit to biblical truth. Okay, stick with me. We got about four things of how it's a counterfeit. So there's a counterfeit in the whole woke culture and the whole critical theory, which, again, follow with me, has to do with oppressors and oppressed, critical, theory, um, critical race theory and critical social justice theory. All of that is a counterfeit of true repentance. So the Bible says to repent to God. The critical theory says to repent to one another. And so the Bible says to repent to God, and Jesus says to you, your work is finished. Critical theory says repent to people, and your work is never finished. If you've seen and with, with, I'll say, critical theorists, just to keep it from name-calling here, there's always something that has to be done after you've said, I have been an oppressor unconsciously, then you always feel obligated to continue to make up reparations, continue to make up for that. And you see people to continue to call for that in culture. And so there's no genuine repentance. There's no genuine forgiveness compared to the true forgiveness that comes from Christ. Another counterfeit of critical theory is discipline. So in the church discipline, the Bible says that church leaders should kick out for a certain amount of period a person so that they can eventually come back into the fold. And be, be blessed by the family of God again just by being in fellowship. The heart of that is restoration. Critical theory doesn't offer that. It cancels you. It cancels you and shames you to repent. And the heart behind it is shame and guilt when the heart of church discipline actually has to do with restoration. Do you see that? Who's the sower of seeds with guilt, condemnation, and shame? It ain't God. That is the enemy. It's the original critic. There's a counterfeit of crucifixion. So the Bible says that Jesus was crucified for us. Critical theory will cancel you by crucifying your name, your business, your reputation. Anything that you've done in the past is negated. You can look to certain examples in society for that. Jesus offers forgiveness while there's no forgiveness from those who are, who are the oppressed. Um, there's Pharisees on both sides of this thing. There are Pharisees just in life, and there's also Pharisees of critical theory. So... Pharisees would nitpick over Jesus' ministry, if y'all see that in the Gospels, over the minor things and teachings, the teachings and his actions. Well, there are Pharisees of cancel culture that end up go around, that go around and nitpick for microaggressions. And I agree that, that what you say, there's a motivation to, and it can be sinful, and 
biblically speaking, you have to watch what you say. There's actually, there's actually a license of restraint. There's restraint that's given more to Christians than to other people. Meaning when I became a Christian, I read in Corinthians and the apostle Paul said, hey, what may be a stumbling block for another person, you may want to consider not doing. So there are good godly restraints in those things. But the issue with critical theory is that it teaches that the oppressed can't help themselves from thinking in an oppressed way. And so everything becomes prejudice towards those who are being oppressed. Another thing is counterfeit of the kingdom of God. So critical theory says everyone with wealth and power, remind you, all of this is a part of the heritage of Karl Marx. You can hear it in conflict theory here, right? Classes going against one another. It says that with wealth and power needs to be redistributed. That it would be heaven on earth if we redistributed. Because let's be honest, there are those who are really well sourced nowadays and there are those who are undersourced nowadays. So critical theory ends up saying that, sees the discrepancy and says we need to risk redistribute wealth. That, that is going to be the solution. We'll get, we'll get heaven on earth. Well, the same lie was being told at the Tower of Babel. Humanity ended up getting scattered at the Tower of Babel because we believed, humanity believed that we could get heaven on earth. Who? Without God. Without God. So the Bible says that sinful depravity is so vast that if you were, it affects, and in our lives we can testify, depravity, sinful depravity, our human condition we're born with, it affects our thoughts, it affects our emotions, it affects our actions in everything. And so if you take resources and you give it from the oppressed to the, uh, sorry, the oppressors to the oppressed in critical theory terms, then for the most part, a critical theorist would say that's heaven on earth. But from a biblical standpoint, everyone's carrying original sin. You just gave it from one people who are selfish, prideful for the most part, handed it to another people who are selfish and prideful, and there won't be any heaven on earth. Actually, for biblically speaking, there wouldn't be justice in that. But biblically speaking, the heaven on earth that we all want, and let's be honest, critical theorists want it too. People in what culture want it too. We all want it. It's a different way of how we go about it. It has to do with Christ coming and his ruling in the new heaven and new earth. That's when we're going to end up seeing everything made right again. And it's not to mean you don't care. It's just the reality. Like, look to the scriptures and say, even Jesus in the gospel say, there'll always be the poor among you. Now, always care for the poor. We have people here who work down at Open Door Mission who care for the poor. But you also have, have to have a realistic, realistic expectation that the new heaven and the new earth ends up changing everything to where there'll be no more sin and no more oppressor, oppressed, fill in the blank. There'll no, be no more discrepancies because there is one ruler who's calling the shots and we've all submitted to him and that's Christ. Amen? Okay. So track with me. I know, I know I'm wearing you guys out, but this is once a year that we just got to drive home some certain points. Counterfeits. Are you good? You want some water? Okay, good. There's a counterfeit to being born again. The Bible says that a person was blind and now you see. The Bible says that you are spiritually dead and now you spiritually are alive. Critical theory, again, again, it sounds so similar. Critical theory says I was asleep and now I'm awakened. I'm awakened to certain systemic discrepancies, or certain outcomes and discrepancies in culture. And it's all linked to systematic injustice, right? And so being woke is the equivalent of a public baptism. You get, you let everyone know on social media and publicly that you've been changed and you now see what is right and you now how see how you have been wrong. And it, all it is is just a mimicking of what some people end up saying is kind of like 
the baptism that we see in Waterburn Christians. You say, I'm a representation of Christ. And so you can see that's just a small way of how you can be woke and born again. And there, a lot of critical theorists are trying to tie those two together. Uh, there's labeling critical theorists, as we all know, for the most part. Um, if you disagree with someone, it's easy nowadays to be called a religious bigot, um, a non-binary bigot um, for a lot of people here because most everyone's white, white privileged. Um, critical theory also make, takes the form, at the end of the day, of a mob mentality. And so the mobs in the Gospels and in Scripture, specifically in the Gospels, they end up coming to Christ and they label him demon-possessed in a couple of different instances in Scripture. And they, they call him Beelzebub, meaning he is the worker of Satan. He's, Christ, he's Satan himself. And the mobs not only did that to Christ, but at the end of the day, who were the people who ended up calling for Christ to be crucified? Mobs. And so it's just easy when you get around people who aren't tethered to Christ necessarily to have a group think tank. And ultimately, it ends up being so easy, friends, whether you're woke, whether you're, you're not to end up becoming a part of a mob mentality and end up criticizing people and throwing stones. When at the end of the day, here's the heart of the issue, care for people. Scripture says to care for your brothers and sisters in Christ, especially the family of Christ. If you see, now here's, here's a huge issue, is that ever since there have been certain things that's happened in the last two years, caring for people and empathizing with people and carrying burdens for people need to be number one in a reaction. It just needs to be number one. Now, it doesn't mean that you end up agreeing with people, but we need, we need to unify over actually caring for people and not just winning arguments. Okay, critical theory we have to be cautious about because it becomes biblical to a lot of people, meaning you look at critical theory, critical race theory especially, and say there are so many tenets that are so similar, and it seems well-meaning that you take it as infallible. And you can't, on the worst end of the spectrum is you can't criticize or question critical theory or its outworkings of it. That's where the labeling comes in. And that's where, for the most part, a lot of people get caught in a blender. The problem with critical theory is, at the end of the day, it tries to restore the world without sourcing God. It's sourced towards Karl Marx and his view. When you have an eight, for instance, when you have, if you're going for counseling, and you want counseling for your marriage, and you are both believers, and you go to an atheist for counseling, is that wise? We would say no. And in a similar way, when you have critical theory, although there, is, there are certain terminologies, certain things that you care about for other people, especially other ethnic groups, but if it's sourced, sourced from an atheistic standpoint, you have to reconsider and pray into that, especially when it's coming from Karl Marx. Okay, so at the end of the day, what's at stake? We look at the world, if we're to continue and believe in critical theory and its outworkings, we're going to look at the world through a non-biblical lens, through oppressor and oppressed, and lose sight of how God sees humanity as all guilty. Everyone is guilty. And guess what? There's only one hero of the story. Do you know who that is? Jesus. That would be correct. There's only one good guy. Everyone else are bad guys. Okay, so we, we, we don't have to throw one another under the bus and say there are certain good guys, certain bad guys, which critical theory can easily get you into. But say at the end of the day, we see that there's one perfect God man who came to restore everything. What he says goes. What he says goes. And the result at the end of the day, this is observation, is when you look at critical theorists and you look at, let's just say, those who maybe don't buy in, 
you end up seeing the less fruit of the spirit, meaning love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control from critical theory and those who buy into it lock stock and barrel. That's just an observation. It's not God's truth, but that's just what, what's hap- what happens when you buy in and get that mindset of always looking for. I live, I, I live in a world where I have to communicate with people all the time who I love most who don't see this the way I do. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to lovingly ask God on how to relate to one another and unify over love. Okay, so where do we go from here? Matthew 22, last minute. Matthew 22, 36 through 38. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The second command, greatest command, is love your neighbor. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself with grace and with truth. For those who agree with what we just said on the spiritual view behind critical theory, it's not going to go away. So continue to study uh, the resources that we have looked into or certain pastors like Vody Bauckham and Mark Driscoll and a plethora of other people who end up holding this posture towards critical theory. Um, for those who agree with what we said, we've got to learn to lovingly teach those who we disagree with and also just leave the issue as is because at the end of the day, we have people who are made in the image of God, right? And there's this great quote from an old saint back in the day. Um, be kind for everyone's in a great spiritual battle. Everyone's in a great spiritual battle. If you disagree, you are more than welcome to disagree. I don't see you, if you're born again, I don't see you as not a spiritual sibling of mine. If you disagree, come up to us, talk to us. We hold highly God, his creation, uh, equality. Um, But at the end of the day, with critical theory and how they see oppressor oppressed and equity, and the sourcing of why behind everything seems to be a disparity, a disparity in culture. We just see that as being utterly different. And so come talk to us. It doesn't make you a non-Christian. We love you. And with that, I think I tap out, bro. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, you crushed it. Um, that's a big answer uh, for a big question. So that's great. Thanks for pointing us to Jesus and his truth.